Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top MMA Podcast on KDadPress.com. I'm David Gibby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC goes back to the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 80, headlined by Grant Dawson versus Bobby Green. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. In addition to that, we're also going to be giving you the interviews you know and love. We're starting this episode with an interview with Johnny Munoz Jr., who is fighting at UFC Vegas 80. And a little bit later on in the show, we'll be talking to Landry Ward, who main events LFA 169 this Friday. Before we get to any of that great content for you, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. But make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's, well, it's really drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Certainly couldn't hurt. Game Up is not a hard seltzer because hard seltzers just didn't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA malls, urban fitness, peak bagging badasses, tough mutter mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high handicap hackers, committed cornhole huckers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer, and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Our intro to me today is Johnny Munoz Jr., who fights Kilangi Yori at UFC Vegas 80. That fight is on October 7th. So, Johnny, I wanted to start coming off that last fight because, you know, it was weird circumstances going into that fight. You got the fight with Daniel Santos in May. He pulls out during fight week. You got to get ready for him all over again in June. Obviously, it doesn't end the way that you want it to. Do you feel like the, like, double fight week a month apart, like, threw you off? Or was it just a, a tough fight in general? Give us a little insight into that one. Yeah, man. I mean, for sure it threw me off. That was the first time I had that something like that happened to me. Uh, not taking it in a way because, like, he's a tough opponent. Everyone in the UFC is tough. But, you know, we all had to work a different road to get there. So he's tough. But, like, with all the circumstances, like, it was honestly, it was like, it was, I had to re-go back in a fight camp. The fight camp is hard. And it's just like, I felt like my body was drained. And then even the weight cut I had when it got rescheduled was a little more difficult. Uh, you know what I mean? The second time around. Uh, the first time around it got pulled. I didn't, I was already low in weight. So be, before we got, uh, started the cut, they told us. But I mean, still, like my weight was already low. Like, I don't like for me, like like uh, I start the weight like what 145, and I'm cutting there, but I don't walk around at 145 normally. You know, I, mean, I get up to 165, so it's just hard to do that twice. And uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a learning experience, not taking that away from my opponent. Uh, you know, props to him. 
but yeah, it was just a very a learning experience. It's something uh, if something like that were to happen again, I would have to reconsider how that plays out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now you you said you know you usually you know one sixty five guy rather than walking around at, at one forty five. How how much were you able to put back on in between? Were you worried about getting too big? Did you have to like stay extra low, extra long? Like what what was it like in between as far as weight management? Well, yeah, I mean, I still had to like be on diet, obviously. Like, uh, like I went to New York when that fight got called off, so I got to enjoy a day over there. And then the next day, they called me to reschedule it, and uh, so I was like, "Yeah, let's go." So I had to get back on the diet, talk to my uh, strength conditioning coach, you know, figure everything out again. How do we uh, do this? Because you know, we train and we're doing everything at peak on a certain day, but obviously, it didn't go as planned. So it was just it was just it was just a a different process, and it's something like I I don't think no fighter uh, would enjoy to do when you have to redo it all over again like that. For sure, I do have to ask though. You said you had one day in there where you got to go to New York. Did you at least get to enjoy some like really good food there? Like, did you did you splurge a little bit? <laughs> no, I did, but I'll be honest, I was disappointed with the pizza, man. <laughs> like everyone talks about New York pizza, uh, but yeah, I was just this point at costco had the best pizza hands down better than new york i don't know if i went to the wrong place but like a couple people told me to go to joe's pizza it's the best whatever and i went there it was like a 45 dollar pizza and honestly like it wasn't worth 45 bucks <laughs> but but other than that like new york was cool to see uh it's a different vibe there so it was cool to see very cool, very cool. Now, I, I do want to go back to that one more last question before we start moving on to some other things. You know, obviously, you know, you said I wouldn't put myself through this again. I wouldn't put myself through, you know, this weird strength and conditioning, weight loss stuff. But now following a loss, a lot of fighters feel like they got to go back to the drawing board or they got to fix things. Do you feel like that's the case with you or do you feel like it's more of just like, you know, your body circumstances didn't let you be yourself that day? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, like, obviously, like, I look at that fight, I'm like, man, like, I know that that, that wasn't me in that fight, you know what I mean? I know I'm better than that. So I think the main thing is just for me, just showing up for this fight coming up and just, just being myself and, and just doing my part, you know what I mean? And uh, I believe this it's gonna, this fight will be different, you know what I mean? I believe he's going to make weight, I'll make the weight, and then we're going to have a fight October 7th as planned. So I think uh, the main thing is just showing up, being me, and uh, being in the moment. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that fight in a second. But I do want to ask, too, about, you know, the idea of just being in the moment and things take care of themselves. Because a hot topic in MMA right now is that sometimes you take care of yourself and you seemingly get the win. And and the judges have been on the really wrong side of a lot of these things, right? And and you're a guy who's dealt with that in your own career, right? Like the Nate Manis fight sticks out to me. You know, every, most everybody I know thought, at the very least, you wind up with a draw there, if not a straight-up win. So, what do you what do you make of all these weird scorecards this day? Does it put more pressure on you? Do, do you feel like stuff needs to be done about this? Oh, for sure, man. It's scary, honestly. It's it's very scary because you think you're winning, and then they just take it out of your hands. And and the problem with these judges, commission, you know. Uh, or guys that, like, run shows. Like, UFC, I don't know if they have anything to do with it, but, I mean, they are, like, the biggest company, so I feel like, I don't know, they need to put more pressure, like, on commissions 
and all that stuff. Because the problem with a lot of these commission guys, they don't train, they don't they don't do shit. You know what I mean? So, like they're basically in control of us fighters who, you know, sacrifice eight week fight camps. You know what I mean? From our families or everybody makes sacrifices, and then we're in there, and then the decision don't go the way it was supposed to do, and we just got robbed of money. Like they're literally robbing us of money that uh, could be going to our families or whoever, whatever it is that we're doing with the money. You know what I mean? Just you're literally robbing us of money. Every time bad decisions happen on the weekend, uh, you're robbing the fighter of the money. And like, I feel like shit's not getting done. It's it's only getting worse. It's like, we're enabling the behavior because we're just going along with it. Like we know it could happen. We just go along with it. So I don't know if like, I mean, I don't see this happening, but it's almost like at a point where I think fighters just, you know, fuck it, we're not going to show up and fight on our schedule fight. And I think something like that's when shit would really get done. And, and you mentioned in there, you know, the fact that they don't fight. Do you feel like that would alleviate a lot of the issue if we had more, you know, former fighters on there or at least guys who are in the gym all the time on the judges' scorecards? I think it would help. I mean, you, don't get me wrong. We're all human. There will still be mistakes made, but... I feel like when people train or they fought, you know, I mean, it's it's a different outlook. You have a different outlook on fights. So I see fans, like regular fans, talking about fighting or trying to score a fight. I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, like this guy has no idea, doesn't train. But it's different when you, you, you're getting hit in the face. You know, somebody's cranked out in your arm. You're getting smothered and you can't fucking get out. Like, it's just different. So you kind of see what's going on, you know what I mean, in the fights. Uh, and you can kind of just see shit. As a fighter, you just know. Like, you've been in there. You experience. It's hard to explain, but you just kind of know. Like, I had a teammate fight over the weekend, Edgar Chaitis. Like, you know, he had, like, a, a front guillotine choke. Ref stopped him. And, and then, so, I mean, he literally got robbed of cash, too. Like, it was a weird situation. Like, but it's just like, man, like, it's just like, this shit keeps happening. You know what I mean? For sure, and that was an absolutely insane one, beyond the normal uh, judges kind of stuff. Like, you know, the, you get the limp arm, and somehow that's not a finish. That's pretty insane to me. Yeah, it made no sense to me because I mean, the arm win. I mean, at best, the re- I think the referee should have lifted the arm one more time just to make sure. Because since the guy dropped his arm, if the ref would have did, his, you know, check the arm if it went down, and boom, I think it would have prevented a, the whole issue, and it would have prevented the fighters from a. Uh, losing out on cash as well absolutely and of course i just do have to ask because the the big hot button question right now is the shevchenko grasso fight everybody and their cousin except for the one judge who gave a 10-8 in the fifth round uh understands that there were no 10-8s in that fight but who did you have winning that one yeah the 10-8 was kind of weird like i gotta i want to rewatch that fight again i was there live but when the fight the round ended like i my cousin i was like i think Valentina took it. This this what I thought. Like I was like fuck. That was I wanted Alexa to win. Uh, I was like fuck. I think Valentina took it. And then but then I seen the score and like they were taking it. I was like and I was thinking oh maybe it was a tougher fight than I thought. Which I think the fight was close. Uh, but the ten eight I I don't agree with that. Uh, I did give two rounds to Grasso in that fight. There was one round that kind of could have been either or, but. Just in that moment, I thought Valentina took it. Respect. Yeah, I'll respect that scorecard. Anything without a 10-8, I respect. So let's talk Let's talk about your chance to hopefully not have scorecards like that. And that's this upcoming fight with Keelang Aori. 
Now, he's a guy who sort of likes to stand and trade, right? Like he, He's a guy who likes to stand and bang, stuff some takedowns, throw some hands. He's had trouble with wrestlers in the past, though. You know, like notably Cody Durden took care of him pretty easily with the wrestling department. You're a guy, obviously, with seven of your 12 wins by submission. You've got great sub skills and ground skills as well. Is it as simple as that? Is it a clear path to victory on the mat? Or are you possibly feeling like you can oblige him in that kind of striking battle? Yeah, like honestly, like I I do feel like I'm better than him everywhere, but I do see that area in his game where, you know, he's weaker in. And I believe like, uh, you know, he, his coaches, they're not stupid. Like they know what I'm going to try to do in that fight. And I'm a smart fighter. I always try to take fights where – you know, what's the easiest path to victory? And I believe that the easiest path would be to take him down and uh, and get the submission and control him because he's been taken down by other guys as well who aren't grapplers. I think what was his fight with uh, Jay Perrin? Jay Perrin's more of a striker, but he was able to take him down, control him a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, I really just see myself out grappling him, but you never know because there's been – Fights were like, you know, I'm, I would just keep it on the feet. I end up striking, get it in the flow, and just stay there. So uh, that could happen as well. All right. So, well, it is time for me to wrap this up, and I always wrap with an official prediction. So you're keeping it open on the possibilities, but if you get exactly what you want come October 7th, how's this one end? Yeah, October 7th, my prediction is I get a first-round sub uh, via rear naked choke, and I just – I believe that's what's going to happen, and I just want to show uh, jiu-jitsu it still remains. Jiu-jitsu is still a, a powerful thing. Uh, you just got to use it correctly in MMA, so I really want to showcase uh, that jiu-jitsu is still a thing in MMA. I love it. And once again, fans, this was Johnny Munoz, who fights Keith Langiori at UFC Vegas 80. That fight, once again, October 7th. Johnny, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, Dan. Thanks for reaching out, man. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Johnny Munoz. I once again, I'm Daniel Cubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we always got to start this way after a week off of the UFC. No UFC this past weekend, but this weekend we're heading back to the Apex for UFC Vegas 80. So tell me, after having to be away for the fights for a whole week, which one this week are you most excited about getting back to? This fight card is not loaded by any stretch of the imagination. I'd say there are some good fighters, but not necessarily great fights. So if I'm forced to pick the best fight, I think it's Alexander Hernandez versus Bill Algio. Just throwing down for 15 minutes, trying to climb the, the ranks of featherweight. That's my pick. What about you? Yeah, that one's up there for me. I think uh, that one's probably going to wind up being a slobber knocker, which is pretty exciting. But I'll also just throw out there Felipe Linz at 205. Like you said, there's not a lot of great fights, but there are some good fighters he looked pretty terrible at heavyweight in his stint in the UFC. He's now 3-0 at 205, and that seems kind of significant. And now he's fighting uh, Ian Kudalaba, who's like one of those dudes who's both wonderful and terrible every time he fights. So uh, if Felipe Linz can somehow come out looking good in that fight and move to 4-0, I- I'm like intrigued to see what he can do in the future. So uh, that's probably the one I'm the most excited for.
Well, I think we also know from doing this for a long time, it's the fight cards where you're like, oh, this is kind of boring that end up being the banger, banger fest, just one banger after another. So let's hope that's the case this weekend, but it doesn't even matter because we got the good betting picks for it regardless. So let's get into our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays for UFC Vegas 80. Gumby, who sponsors this edition? This edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by X Marshall. If you want to pick up some of the best gear in martial arts, you got to check out X Marshall from rash guards to shorts, streetwear, training equipment. They've got you covered. X Marshall is one of the fastest growing brands out there. And for a reason, the quality of their product is second to none. They are taking style to the next level, and they really do have a design for every taste and personality. So go check them out at xmarshall.com and use discount code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, for 10% off everything in the store. All right. Grant Dawson is in our main event, and he's a big favorite at a minus 395. I think you uh, you heard me say a few minutes ago, good fighters, not really great fights. Four to one favorite here facing Bobby Green. Bobby Green in the main event at a plus 280. Let's check in on these two fighters. Uh, Bobby Green coming off a win over Tony Ferguson, the corpse of Tony Ferguson, did uh, earn himself a performance of the night bonus. Accidental clash of heads before that for for no contest with Jared Gordon and a two-fight losing streak heading into that. So he is one, two, and one in his last four is Bobby Green. And now in the main event, to a four to one favorite against Grant Dawson, who has looked nothing short of spectacular since entering the UFC back in 2017 at Dana White Contender Series. He's on a three fight win streak. He had a draw with Ricky Glenn back in October of 2021. That's the one blemish on his UFC record. Other than that, it's been wins across the board. He's 9 0 1 in the UFC. Who you got? I think it's obviously Grant Dawson here. The odds are probably not even as wide as they should be. The guy has absolutely ragdolled everybody he's fought in the UFC, with the exception, like you said, of that weird Ricky Glenn fight where he clearly ran out of gas. Um, Now I think he's got his weight cut stuff under check. He's taking people down at an alarming rate. I mean, he's coming off a weird win over Demiris Magulov, and I actually think Demiris Magulov is better than Bobby Green. So, yeah, give me all of the Grant Dawson in the whole wide world. If you're playing, you know, DraftKings or DFS or something like that, I mean, like, I would say you would be crazy not to include Grant Dawson in there. A hundred percent. No comments from me on that. Uh, Joe Pfeiffer, a minus 380 favorite, another, you know, near four to one favorite. Versus Abdul Razak Al-Hassan at a plus 300. Pfeiffer, uh, body bags, great nickname. We like this guy. Uh, he's coming off a win in Fury. No, excuse me, uh, that he had a grappling event win against Gerald Mearshart. But in the UFC, he's coming off an actual win against Gerald Mearshart back at UFC 287. I didn't realize that, that they grappled as well as fought in MMA. Um, but he's looked really good since debuting in the UFC. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan is coming off a KO win over Claudio Ribeiro, lost to Joaquin Buckley before that via split decision, and a big head kick KO before that. So he's two and one in his last three. But if I peel it back further, he was on a three-fight losing streak, so he's two and four in his last six. He does have three performance of the night bonuses to his credits since debuting in the UFC in uh, 2016. Who you got here? I think you got to go Joe Piper. I will say I'm a little bit more concerned about this damn near four to one line on Joe Piper than I am on uh, Grant Dawson, because the fact of the matter is with Joe Piper, we haven't seen him get hit by a big puncher yet. You know, like you said, he fought Joe or uh, Gerald Mearshart in both grappling and MMA. 
Gerald Mearshart, not a big puncher. He fought Alan Amandovsky, again, not a big puncher. He fought Ozzy Diaz on Contender Series, again, not a huge puncher. So we've got all these guys he's fought who have maybe not been the most dangerous dudes for him to fight, and Abdul Razak Alassane is very dangerous. I don't think Abdul Razak Alassane is going to catch him before Joe Pfeiffer gets that wrestling going, because Joe Pfeiffer is another one of those Daniel Gracie guys, you know, like, uh, like I mean, just name any of them, but like Sean Brady, so to speak, and, and he's just got a really great top game really, really punishing when he is on top of you. I think he's going to take uh, Al-Hassan down and sort of dominate him there. I like Pfeiffer. I will say a little bit more cautious on this line. Joaquin Buckley's a minus 190 favorite. Alex Moreno, a plus 160 dog. Buckley, of course, holds one of the craziest highlight reel KO kicks of all time. Um, he's coming off a win over Andre Filio via head kick. He had lost two in a row before that, so he's one and two in his last three. If I peel it back even further, he was on a three-fight win streak, so he's four and two in his last six. We're liking what we're seeing from Buckley recently. Moreno uh, coming off a guillotine choke win over Tim Means. He had lost to Santiago Ponzinibbio before that, and he was on a four-fight win streak before that. So he's five and one in his last six, which is absolutely nothing to sneeze at. Morono uh, is also someone who debuted in the UFC back in 2016. So, uh, you know, or, or excuse me, actually, he debuted in the UFC in January of 2016 at UFC 195. This is what I wanted to note. I now come across guys on the roster who I'm like, oh, wow, they've been around since pre-UFC 200. That's like a benchmark <laughs> for me now, what UFC 100 used to be. So he's been doing it a long time. Murano, a plus 160 dog here. Who you got? I actually like the dog money on Murano here. You mentioned he's won five out of six. And really, he was dominating Santiago Ponzinibbio in that fight and really could have been six out of six had he not got caught. Now, Joaquin Buckley is totally the type of guy who can catch you, similar to Santiago Ponzinibbio, which I think is why you see him come in here as a favorite. But the fact of the matter is, I think Murano is just well more well-rounded in a lot of different ways. He puts a pace on people. He tires people out. He's got low-key, good grappling. People forget about that. I mean, submitting Tim Means is nothing to, to laugh at right there. Tim Means showed in his last fight that he's still a mean dude. And he's gone out there and beat up guys like Matthew Semmelsberger and, you know, David Zawada, who both, you know, strike pretty well on the feet. So I'm not saying they're anywhere near the level of Joaquin Buckley, but I think he can handle himself enough on the feet, push a pace, maybe get the a little bit of a grinding action going up against the cage. And I think he'll pull out the win here. All right, let's get to our actual official dog of the week. That's one dog pick, but here's our official dog pick. It's Felipe Lins, a plus 120 over Ian Kutuleba. Let's hear it. So I, I mentioned uh, this fight is one I'm excited for because I think Felipe Lins is kind of an underrated dude at 205 right now. 3-0 and so far since moving down. He hasn't conceded a takedown at light heavyweight, and he's up against the guy who sometimes, uh, against his better judgment, shoots a billion takedowns until he's tired. We saw him do it against Dustin Jacoby until he was utterly exhausted and he wound up dropping the last two rounds in that fight. I think the fact that Felipe Lins, first of all, looks ripped at 205, which he did not look like at, he or, uh, at heavyweight, I think he's got the right frame to stuff a lot of takedowns here from Kudalaba. I think as this fight goes on, Kudalaba is going to be more and more tired. I think you're going to see Lins gain steam and pick up the dog money for you here. All right. Uh, our parlay to play is Carolina Kowalkowicz, a minus 190 favorite, and Mateus Mandanka, a minus 275, would get you plus 108. Yeah, so Carolina Kowalkowicz, I think, is being wildly underrated here. She's fighting Deanna Belbicha, 
Belbija is a fighter who I think a lot of people are high on because her record has looked mostly good in the UFC, but it does not look good when she faces people who can grapple. She's given up takedowns to even people who I don't think too highly of their grappling, like Molly McCann or Maria Oliveira. And uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz, she's on a low-key, pretty impressive three-fight winning streak. And I think it's mostly just because she's began to trust her wrestling in her ground game more. And she's looked better and better there. I think she dominates Belbicha on the ground. And then with Mundanka, it's more of a, a fade on Nate Manis than it is actually a play on Mundanka. Manis, despite the fact that he had that one really good fight out of the gate where he picked up a huge come-from-behind win... I really don't see much from him anymore. I, he looks slow on the feet. He looks like he's easily catchable. He makes mistakes in his positioning. I think Mendonca is just going to roll through him here. So I'll take those two together and get plus 108. All right. That wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Uh, let us know how we did. At Top Turtle MMA on the social media. Gumby, we're having fun. What should we do next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Landry Ward, who is main eventing UFC, or uh, not UFC, LFA 169 this Friday, a little appetizer to the UFC this weekend. And he is nipping on the heels of a UFC contract. So you're going to want to know this name, and you can do that by listening to this interview right now. All right, and joining me today is Landry Ward, who fights Alfred Walker at LFA 169 in the main event this Friday, October 6th. So Landry... I don't usually get to do too many of these interviews, you know, like four or five days off of fight, you know, the actual fight itself. So, you know, a little check in here. How's fight week been? You know, how's your weight? All that kind of good stuff. Yeah, fight week's good, you know, feeling good enough to hop on and do an interview. Yeah, weight cuts always go smooth, you know, I live a healthy lifestyle. So makes the weight cuts easy and uh, just another part of the job. So I'm feeling good. I'm ready to go. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now, I, I wanted to ask you about the training for this because I know you're a Kill Cliff guy, but I also know that this fight's in your backyard. So have you been, you know, out with Kill Cliff for the entire thing here? Have you been a little bit more home than you usually are? What what sort of the training camp look like for you? Yeah, Kill Cliff's my home. Uh, I'm uh, based here in Florida now. So, you know, the the training's too good. The uh, I won't be anywhere else for uh, my career. So Kill Cliff's my home till I retire. Tech you know, and uh, Texas, probably where I'd be when I'm after, after. Well, that's good to hear. Now, you said, you know, Florida is where I am at. Are, are you still there? Have you not made the trip out to Texas yet? No, yeah, I'm uh, in Florida now. I go to uh, Texas on Wednesday. Oh, awesome. That's good. So you got a nice short time uh, that you're actually in the, the fight week. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, quick trip, and then I'll be uh, staying back for a week or so to hang with my family and friends. Well, that's that's good to hear, too. Now, I was going to ask you, the, the LFA is kind of running with this whole Red River Rivalry Week thing, right? Like, you know, you're from Texas. You said, you know, or you originally from Texas. Your retirement will be in Texas, as you pointed out. He's from Oklahoma. It just so happens we're getting Red River Rivalry Week on Saturday, and we're getting a little taste of it Friday. Are you a big football fan? Is this like a thing that you enjoy that they're running with? No, yeah, I'm a I'm a big football guy, and oddly enough, you know, I grew up a UT fan, so been a UT fan uh, my whole life. So I always, uh, when I was younger, you know, I played football growing up, so I always pictured playing in the Red River rivalry. So this is a nice little notch in the belt to uh, kick off Red River rivalry with uh, a Texas dub. That that's interesting. So you were you were a football player growing up. What what positions did you play? Where where did you you know uh, how, how long did you play football? Yeah, so uh, I played growing up. I played uh, quarterback and free safety all my life, and then when I got to 
high school had the chance to start uh, as a junior on varsity playing safety. So made the switch to safety. Uh, yeah, I actually got into fighting because uh, I was going to go walk on to play football in college. But like three or four months before the walk on day, I had went into an MMA gym uh, just for an extra workout because it was by my house uh, before I left the college and ended up, you know, meeting my coach, Dieter Navarro, who I met in Texas and we both moved back to Florida uh, and fell in love with it. And I'm what that was like seven years ago. So been a good ride. And so what about being in an MMA gym? Because I've heard this from a lot of athletes too, right? You know, I, I interviewed Carly Judici, uh last week. She coming off the Contender Series, won a contract. She did the same thing when she was playing softball. She walked into an MMA gym. Something clicked for her. Something was like, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. What, what about MMA made you feel like, you know, this is what I can give up pretty much what I've known all my life for? Yeah, one second. Let me turn this to yeah. fix this light glare. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, my bad. I just noticed those lights in the back. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah, I think it was just the fact that, you know, I was out of competition, out of playing football for a little over a year because uh, I went to I just went to a junior college that didn't have football uh, my first year out of high school. And I was training, you know, put on a lot of weight, a lot of speed and size to get ready to go try to walk on to a D1 university. And when I went to that MMA gym, you know, year, almost year and a half out of competition, I got that little itch back, that little competition back. And it was just, I don't know, it felt right getting that itch back. And then I had a jujitsu competition like a month after training, won it. And I was like, well, that's pretty fun. Then I asked my coach uh, before I was leaving, and I was like, can you give me a fight before I go to college? And uh, he was like, well, I'd want you to train a little bit more. And that kind of made the decision for me. That's awesome to hear. And now, you know, you're talking about that being seven years ago. It took you seven years, but now here you are, not only in like a really great position in an LFA main event, but that those tend to be, you know, like the showcase fights for the UFC, right? Like this is what the UFC looks for, for their talent. LFA constantly feeding people to the UFC. Do you feel like this is a big enough fight where if you go out and do something spectacular, they're calling and they're knocking right after that? Yeah, I believe so. Um, I believe my last one, if I would have, I don't know if you saw it, but I dropped him in the first round. If I would have finished that there in the first round, I believe that I would would have gotten the call off that first round knockout. But, uh, you know, things uh, things happen for a reason. And I learned a lot from that experience and that fight. So I'm, I'm a better fighter, better man for going through that three-round fight that I had. And I think it's just setting up for – you know, a, a spectacular performance this Friday night and a call up. You know, I think uh, I think they're talking about the UFC maybe going to that Minnesota card they're having in December, possibly being in Texas or Florida. So stars are aligning. Let's uh, let's dot those stars with the Lone Star. I love it. Now, I, I do have to ask you before we get to talking about the fight with Walker is, you know, a lot of people have told me in the past who have been fighting for LFA or any of the other bigger regional organizations that that having the title from that organization is like a big piece for them. It's it's like a step in the right direction. Now, you got a main event here, but you're also on a fight card recently with Javier Garcia, who wound up winning the belt for that performance that he had that night. Do you feel like that's a piece that you need or do you feel like, you know, like being a regional champ is just something that we see on paper? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't 
put a lot of weight into it saying like, I need that. Um, you know, if it comes, it comes, if I need to get it, I'll get it. But, uh, no, I think just, uh, I've shown throughout my career that, you know, I'm excited. I'm an exciting fighter, a high level fighter. And, you know, I will, I will be an asset to the UFC. And once I uh, go show it this Friday, that's all we're going to need. All right. Well, let's talk about how you're going to show it this Friday. So Alfred Walker is a guy who in his career has shown similar to you that he's kind of got that big punching power, right? That's something he leans on that he's got some big knockouts. Do you like the idea of having a guy who you could feel pretty confident is going to stand in front of you in trade? Or do you like seeing, you know, a little bit more of a style mix up and, and somebody who's probably going to want to wrestle you and take you down? Uh, I mean, give and take is MMA, so anybody could uh, shoot at any time. But, yeah, I, I like having a striker versus striker matchup. That's a fun one. Uh, I mean, it's an exciting one for the fans. Don't have to worry about somebody shooting 15 times like my last <laughs> opponent. Uh, so, I, you know, it's going to gonna make for fireworks and it's going to make for uh, my skill set to shine through. So I'm excited. We're excited too. Now, before I let any of my fighters go, I always try to get a prediction out of them. So let me know, how's this one end come Friday at LSA 169? Spectacular fashion from the Lone Star Kid, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Landry Ward, who fights Alfred Walker at LSA 169. Once again, that fight is this Friday, October 6th. Landry, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Game Up Hard Hydration and X Marshall. And remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter or Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Danny Gibby-Greenland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then.